You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew, the eighth chapter. It'll be on the screens. It'll be on, uh, online. It'll be in your... Let me, let me, let me back up for a second. Um, I'm on some prescription strength cough medicine right now. So this, this may be quite a journey. So here we go. Um, I, I've had a cold, I, a cough that just has not gone away. So I broke down. I mean, because I'm a man, I don't go to the doctor. I mean, come on, I'm a man. I finally broke down and went to the clinic and got some very fancy, very strong cough medicine. So here we go, friends. Our gospel lesson today is from Matthew, the eighth chapter, beginning with the 23rd verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. A gale arose on the lake, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and they woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obeys him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Questions Jesus asked. Jesus asked, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Inflection is everything. Inflection is everything? Inflection is everything. Inflection is everything. Inflection is everything. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget that scripture is meant to be heard as opposed to being read. Faith comes by hearing, the Apostle Paul says. And at first blush, it sounds like Jesus is is chastising the, the disciples. Yes, he rebukes the wind and the waves and the sea, but it also sounds in a way that he's rebuking the disciples. Why are you afraid, you of little faith? But it doesn't quite sound like Jesus to be so angry with those who are fearful. Perhaps there's more to this story. Inflection is everything. And to make that point, have you heard of garden path sentences? Maybe you English teachers out here, maybe you've run across this. Here's one, uh, a garden path sentence. The old man, the boat. At first blush, it sounds like you're just naming things. The old man, the boat, the chisel, the scale. But that's not at all what the sentence means, or at least it seems nonsensical when you read it that way. What does the sentence mean? The old man the boat, right? The old pilot the craft, the experienced pilot the craft. Do you see that? It's not the old man, the boat, the old man, the boat. Yeah. Here's another one. 
The horse raced past the barn fell. It doesn't seem to make any sense at all until you realize that raced past the barn describes which horse you're talking about. The horse raced past the barn fell. The horse that earlier in the day we raced past the barn, that's the horse that fell. The horse raced past the barn fell. Sometimes we forget it matters how we say these things. Not just how we read them, but how we say them. The Bible is meant to be heard as opposed to being read. If we read the scripture too quickly, it sounds like Jesus is angry and Jesus is mad and his, his temper is short. Why are you afraid? Why? Look around you, Jesus. It's a storm. We're taking on water. Aren't you concerned about our lives? Not only are you not concerned, you have, you have time for a Q&A right now. Why are you afraid? You tell me, Jesus. Why are we afraid right now? But maybe instead of condemnation in Jesus' voice, might we hear curiosity? Might this question be genuine, not a means as making them feel smaller than the waves, but a means of trying to investigate, so what? Why are you afraid? What? Why is your faith lacking in this moment? A holy curiosity about the disciples' lives instead of a condemnation of their failure to believe. We all fear something. I'm sure of it. I'll start. Now, spiders, creeping things, rats, not a problem. In fact, I feel like very, like when there's a, a, a spider or something, like I can, I can handle that, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll take, Dad will take care of it, right? But if I find a snake where a snake is not supposed to be, after throwing up on myself, I might run away. Right? There's just something about seeing a snake that just goes up. And I'm sure that, that you are afraid of something. You've got to be afraid of something, right? You know, there, I have a list here of the top seven phobias as reported by uh, the Psychiatry Associates of Baton Rouge. So you who are counselors, you, you may have, have come across this list before. And let's see, I'm not going to ask you a show of hands, but you can if you want. Do you know the number one fear that's reported? Arachnophobia, right? Arachnophobia. Now, I'm not going to put that on the screens because that might trigger someone in the congregation. That would be totally unfair uh, to you if that is, if that is your fear. <laughs> yeah. Arachnophobia, right? Anyone have arachnophobia? Anyone now under their pew, right? Yeah, okay, good. Arachnophobia, number one. Number two is ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia, which is the fear of snakes. Anyone afraid of snakes? Anyone not? Yes, thank you, Glenn. Thank you for being brave. Corey, yes, thank you. Fear of snakes. It's fine when snakes are very far, but when they're on the walking trail or in your bushes, or like I have this irrational, irrational fear that they're going to come up through the pipes. Uh, and it's just, it just makes daily living a bit precarious. <laughs> Number three, acrophobia. Acrophobia is a fear of high places. Any, any fear of heights? Any no ladder dwellers here? Okay, good, yes. Aerophobia, fear of flying. Anyone not 
prefer not to fly south. Well, no one prefers to fly southwest these days. Uh, yeah, okay, a couple of aerophobias, yeah. Cynophobia. Now, this is new to me. This is new to me. It's a fear of dogs. Fear of dogs? Anyone have a fear? I mean, we all are afraid of cats because they steal souls, but fear of dogs <laughs> should, be, should be fine. Social phobia, like speaking in front of a crowd, being up in front of, of people. Anyone not ever want to lead a sermon? Okay, yeah, a couple of, a couple of hands there. And then uh, agoraphobia. Uh, agor agoraphobia is um, like claustrophobia would be uh, being in a, a situation where there's no easy exit. That's agoraphobia, right? Have you ever been in a situation where like someone comes and like they stand in your office in the doorway and they just won't leave and you're like, there's nowhere to go, I can't go anywhere. Or you're stuck in traffic and you have to be somewhere and like your anxiety starts to raise, right? Because you just, you can't get out. Uh, claustrophobia falls in this category. I have a bit of claustrophobia. Uh, we took, uh, very, very quickly, uh, we took um, our youth group, uh, when, I was, when I was in youth group, we, we went to the Cumberland Caverns. Uh, and we did a thing called the Wild Tour. And the Wild Tour was a four-hour, in-the-dark, spelunking adventure. And if that didn't sell you on it, they had this, this like cardboard cutout. They said, if you can fit through this, then you can fit through the, the, the path, right? So I was, my nickname in middle school was the manatee, just to show you. And it wasn't because I was kind and gentle and ate vegetables. So it's, we took a beach trip and that's what I looked like swimming through the waves. You'd have to pay me a million dollars to go back to middle school. I mean, I, I don't even know if that's enough. So I tried to fit through this thing and I kind of fit through it okay, I guess. So I went on this four-hour journey, and they said, whenever you get stuck, if you get stuck, just turn around and go back, right? So we are three hours and something like 45 minutes into the wild tour, and there's a, a thing called Hourglass Pass. It's shaped like an hourglass, because you can either climb above or you can climb below. Don't climb through the middle. Pick one, above or below. So I'm like walking through it, oh, what do I want to do, above or below? What do I want to do? Above or below? What do I want to do? Above? Oh no. <laughs> and I tried to like unstick myself, but now like both of my arms are pinned together. And for a brief moment, I thought, I am literally buried alive right now. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. I can't go forward. I can't go backward. I just turn around and go back. I'm not, it's three hours and 45 minutes. I'm not turning around and going back the other way. So one of my, my compadres in the, in the youth group's name is David. He put his arms up on the little thing of the hourglass pass and he put his feet on the small of my back and kicked me through this section of the cave. So I left the wild tour crying and bubbling like an idiot because there was a groove, friend, there was a groove made in the brain that day. Don't ever do that again, right? Um, I say claustrophobia, what's even worse I feel like I should lay down and someone should get a steno pad um, for this. Uh, it's called thalassophobia. Are you f familiar with thalassophobia? The fear of open water? Oh, no, thank you. I prefer not to be food, friends. Uh, maybe I saw Jaws at too early an age. I don't swim when my feet don't touch. That, that's, that's, look, humanity spent, I don't know, a million years getting out of the water. There's no reason to go back, okay? We spend a lot of time inventing things like central air, dry land, you know, there's no reason to go back into the water. We all have 
fears. And we've even raised our hands on some of these fears, spiders, fear of snakes, fear of the dark. The good news with those fears is that they're relatively easy to manage. If you're not in open water, you're fine. I don't come into the office on Tuesday saying, I hope my thalassophobia doesn't erupt today, right? If you're not swimming in open water, you're fine, right? Now, I mean, a spider might jump out every now and again, but typically these fears are manageable because they're not everyday occurrences and you can predict them, you can stay away from them, you can manage them. But then there's the kind of fear that we carry with us every day. And this is where something like the Enneagram comes in and is very helpful. Some folks really like the Enneagram. Some folks don't like the Enneagram. It is a tool, not a rule. But just for a moment, let's see if some of this speaks to you. There's a type one of the Enneagram. If you're you're a type one, you appreciate order and you appreciate systems and you have developed a right way of doing something. Like, does this strike a chord? Does anyone load the dishwasher the right way? And do they live with someone who loads it the wrong way? You might be a type one. You might be a type one. (laughs) Yeah, I see some people throwing each other under the bus. That's fantastic. If you're a type one, however, the fear that you carry with you is knowing that you might be wrong about something or that you might have a blemish on your record. When you see the blue lights and you're pulled over, if the first thing that goes through your mind is my record is no longer clean, you're probably a type one. There's a blemish there, and that is something that you will obsess over and you're fearful about. Number two, there's type two. Type two is great with hospitality. Uh, type two is the first person to say, hey, come on in. I've made some cookies. Let's have, let's have a good time. They really care about people, and, and they always open their home. But the worst thing that you can say to a type two is, I don't need you. Has it ever happened when you volunteer for something and say, sorry, we have it covered? If you're a type two, that is detrimental to your soul. What do you mean I'm not needed? That is your fear, that you're not needed. So who am I if I'm not needed? Number three, if you're type three, then you are probably, you're not afraid of the limelight. You're not afraid of the spotlight. You're very quick to talk in a room. Uh, you know, you are an achiever, right? Uh, you're not afraid of, of being in charge, but that means that your fear that you carry with you every day is a fear of failure. You have imposter syndrome. Imagine if the people around me knew that I nearly wasn't good, as good as they think I am. You wrestle with a fear of failure or being inefficient. If you're number four, you are artistic, you're empathetic, uh, you are a deep feeler. Uh, you probably compose music uh, in, uh, when you're stuck in traffic and uh, you're very dramatic. Probably. And if this is you, then your fear is when people call you common or unimpressive. When you say something like, you're just like everyone else, that hurts. Number five, if you're a type five, that means you are curious about the world. You are filled with awe and wonder. You study things. When you, when you notice something uh, in nature, for example, you might uh, uh, seek it out and study it and be an expert at this, this one thing. You're an observer. And if this is you, if someone calls you incompetent, 
or ignorant, you feel helpless. If you're number six, you are prepared for every situation, right? If you're a six, you probably have a zombie apocalypse kit at home, like just in case, right? You have the hurricane kit ready to go with, with lanterns and safe water and, and always have the duck boots ready to go should the waters rise. That's the number six. You're ready to go. And you wrestle with being abandoned. That's why you are prepared. Because there's a narrative that you're hearing what happens if they forget me? What am I going to do? Number seven, you're always up for adventure. You're the enthusiast. You're the cheerleader. You never like to eat at the same restaurant twice. You're always up for an adventure, which means your fear is when you feel trapped, when life is boring. You don't know who you are when Monday feels like Tuesday, feels like Wednesday, feels like Thursday. There's no way out. If you're number eight, you love being in charge. Uh, the world is yours and you allow everyone else to live in it. Those are your CEOs and it's their way or the highway. Number eight, they're the challengers. And because of that, they cannot be vulnerable. They cannot show weakness. They cannot be perceived as being weak. Facing their own vulnerability is terrifying. And then finally, number nine. Number nine are the peacemakers. They're the great compromisers. They can get, uh, people get along well with nines and nines get along well with them. Uh, they don't like tension, which is why they are great at bringing people together. But if they are ever overlooked or shut out, or if they have tension that is unavoidable. It scares them. McGray de Vega, in his book, Questions Jesus Asked, tells a story of a soldier who asked his officer, how am I supposed to fight fear? He writes, the soldier says, the soldier and fear meet, and the soldier says to fear, May I have permission to go into battle with you? Fear said, thank you for showing me so much respect that you ask permission. The young warrior asked a second question, how can I defeat you? Fear replied, my weapons are that I talk fast, I get very close to your face, then you get completely unnerved and you do whatever I tell you to do. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I have no power. You can listen to me, you can have respect for me, but if you don't do what I say, I have no power over you. <laughs> I think this is why Jesus asks the disciples the question, why are you afraid in the midst of the storm? I mean, it's a terrible time for a Q&A. There's water coming into the boat. They're scared out of their minds. Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. Why are you, let's talk about that. Why are you afraid in this moment right now? Why are you fearful? Where is your faith? Friends, what's the worst that can happen in this moment? Jesus is in the boat with you. Why are you afraid? 
Fear changes our perception. If you're afraid of spiders, the spider you see is like 20 times bigger than it is with fangs the size of sabers. And it's going to, first it's going to wrap you in its web and paralyze you so you can feel, you can, you can, you're aware when you're being eaten alive by this thing. But it's a little, it's a little baby spider, a little baby. Fear changes our perspective. Fear makes us feel small, it makes us feel unimportant, and it makes us feel helplessly vulnerable. I'll put it to you this way. If you've ever been with someone who has had a legitimate panic attack, I didn't, I didn't believe that, here, let me open my closet, I didn't believe panic attacks were real until I saw one happen in front of me. And there's tunnel vision and there's hyperventilation and the, 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 the heart is pumping and there's almost, it seems like nothing can break you from this overreaction to what is going on until someone has the wherewithal to help you breathe, to let you know that it is okay, that the danger is farther than you think. There's more than one way to calm a storm. If you've ever had a panic attack and someone calmed you and got you out of that moment, that is no less miraculous than Jesus calming the waves to you. Fear makes us feel small, unimportant, and vulnerable. Two examples. And this is the difference between Disney World and Washington, D.C. Disney and D.C. Here we go. In Main Street, in uh, Magic Kingdom, in Walt Disney World in Orlando, everything on Main Street is just slightly smaller to scale. The windows are very low to the ground, and it is meant to make you feel bigger than you are, than you are, taller than you are, because when you are bigger and taller, you feel safe. It is absolutely on purpose. You see how, how low the windows are <laughs> to the ground? And the doors are not, nor everything is just a bit smaller to make you feel just a bit bigger, which means it makes you feel at peace and in charge and in control. Notice that next time you're there. The architecture of DC is meant to perform something very different. The monuments are larger than life. They're huge. They're like these pantheon. The, the Lincoln Memorial, it's, it's huge. And it's meant to show the magnificence and the power of our nation. You're supposed to defer to the monument. Two different ways of being. One where we are safe and one where we are in awe of what is around us. Inflection is everything. Perception is everything. And I don't mean that we are uh, authors of our own truth, but it does mean that we sit and we meddle with Jesus' question. Why are you afraid? Not what are you afraid of, why? Why are you afraid? We sit with this question not in silence, but we ponder these things while doing the work of Jesus. For example, uh, when I was in youth group, we did a project called Appalachian Service Project where we went to Tennessee and we did home repair. And the first time I went, I was afraid. 
I had I, I was afraid of being embarrassed. I don't know how to fix or build anything. Skill saw, never played with it, right? I, I did baseball uh, and football, and I never even wielded a hammer. But you go back, and you go back, and then you become a youth director yourself, and you lead teams there. That relationship started to overshadow my own fear of being incompetent in those moments. Calming the storm, when Jesus calms the storm, yes, Jesus is calming the wind and the waves and there's this, there's this narrative that Jesus is the Messiah and, and, and the one who has power over the chaos of the water. But it's also a story of Jesus calming the disciples. Not what are you afraid of. We all know that. There's a storm out there. But why are you fearful of it? Why are you fearful of being abandoned? Why are you fearful of being seen as incompetent? Why are you fearful of these things? Now, I am not a licensed counselor. And I think it's helpful for clergy to say that out loud. Even when you're meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, clergy are not licensed counselors. There are several in the congregation, but I'm not one of them. I imagine these fears don't go away. I mean, maybe like fear of spiders you can train, fear of dogs you can, you know, fear of being abandoned? I'm not sure what that therapy looks like. But I think what the story is pointing us to is for joy to overshadow our fear. It's not that the fear is gone, not that the storm is completely gone, but when we are calm, the storm nearly isn't as big as we think it is. And maybe that's what Jesus is doing. The disciples finally look out and they don't see a raging, wave any, a raging sea anymore. The waves don't seem nearly as, 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 as looming because they are settled in their own soul. And I say this because, spoiler alert, on Easter Sunday, it says that the women run from the tomb with fear and great joy. Fear is there with the empty tomb, but also great joy. And thank God the joy won. They left the tomb with fear and great joy, and thank God the joy won. Where in your life do you need more joy? What are you afraid of? What keeps you awake? What keeps you trapped? May we bring joy to those places so that we will know resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.